Good morning, everyone. As uh, John said, my name is Dan, and uh, I'm part of the leadership team here at Portsford Church. And it's been great this morning, hasn't it, to hear the stories uh, from Tim and Esther of how God is at work and has been at work in their lives. Uh, We appreciate, though, that this might be a bit weird uh, for some of you who are here today who aren't even sure that God exists at all, or maybe you're fairly sure he doesn't exist, uh, let alone that he's been working in Esther and Tim's lives. Maybe you're here because you care about Esther and Tim, but you don't care all that much about God. Well, you're still very welcome, and it's great that you can be here with us to celebrate with Tim and Esther. And hopefully, at these next uh, 20 minutes or so, maybe a bit longer, will help you to understand uh, a bit more about what we're all about and what about when what Esther and Tim also are all about. We do believe that God exists, that he's living and active in our world. And we also believe that he's a God who makes himself known to people personally, as he has done to Esther and Tim. We believe he's done this chiefly as a person, in person, through his son. And we believe that the Bible is a really important book because it contains God's message to us about his son, about who he is. So one of the things we do when we get together like this on a Sunday is we listen to what God says to us through the Bible. At the moment, we're going through a series in a book in the Bible called John's Gospel in the New Testament part of the Bible. John, the author, was one of Jesus' closest followers. He was an eyewitness. He saw what Jesus did. He heard what Jesus said, Uh, and so John's gospel is like an eyewitness biography of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And today we've reached verses uh, 19 to 30 of chapter 5 of John's gospel. You might find it helpful to follow what I'm saying uh, by having John's gospel open in front of you while I speak. Uh, If you could turn to page 1068, uh, 1068 in, in these uh, blue church Bibles, in the, big, in the Bible, the, the big numbers, like the number five on this page, uh, are the chapter numbers. Uh, and the small numbers in, in superscript, they're the verse numbers, uh, like the number 16, just under the heading uh, there, the authority of the Son. Uh, so when I talk about verse numbers, it's these little numbers that I'm referring to. Uh, they're just there to help us find our way around this massive book. And actually, if you're not convinced about who God is... If you're not convinced about what God is like, then you've joined us in a good place uh, this morning. If you listened to Tim and Esther talking about Jesus and you thought something like, that's nice for them, I'm happy for them, but uh, I don't know who Jesus is, then you've joined us in a great part of John's gospel. And this is precisely the big question in these verses. Who is Jesus? Jesus had just healed a man who'd been very sick for 38 years, but because he healed him on a certain day of the week, the religious leaders were furious about Jesus. They were asking the question, who does this man think he is doing these things? So let's have a read of the passage. We'll read from verse 16 through to verse 30. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, that's the special day of the week I was referring to, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. 
Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he'll show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he's given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear And my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. I am God. I am God, was how a consultant at the hospital introduced himself to me last summer. Uh, I think what he meant by that was that he held a powerful position. Uh, He was the head of a specialist unit. It was quite a glamorous role I think he had. Uh, and uh, he could walk around the hospital and hold influence wherever he went. I am God, uh, was his introduction. Maybe he meant that he gets what he wants. Who knows what he meant? I don't think he actually thought he was the God. He clearly would have been deluded if he did. He was a nice guy, and I was pleased of his care for me, but he wasn't God. It's not just consultant doctors who think of themselves as God, though, is it? Uh, Maybe you've experienced a head teacher or a boss or a client who thinks they're God. Those of you serving in the armed forces perhaps have experience of commanding officers uh, who act like God. Jesus had just made an extraordinary claim. He just made this extraordinary claim, making himself equal with God. It was so shocking. The religious leaders certainly understood what Jesus was saying. They wanted to kill him for it. It was clear what he was saying. I am God. He wasn't claiming to be God in the way my consultant was or that a boss might. Jesus was claiming to be the one, true, eternal, holy God. C.S. Lewis uh, is an academic who held positions at Oxford and Cambridge Universities. Uh, and author of the Chronicles of Narnia. And he once captured the question well when he wrote this. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. 
a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. This is known as Lewis's trilemma. Is Jesus mad, bad, or God? Is he liar, lunatic, or Lord? Some people might want to add a fourth option, legend. But actually, the reliability, the, the proven historical reliability of the gospel manuscripts rules that option out. Is Jesus liar, lunatic, or Lord? Mad, bad, or God? And as Tim invited to, uh, us to in his story, will we investigate the evidence? Will we explore for ourselves, as, Jesus, as Tim encouraged us, oops, uh, will we explore for ourselves, I mean, he's a great guy, but, um, and discover Jesus in the historical gospel? Interestingly, C.S. Lewis used to be an atheist himself, and then uh, his journey, uh, through his journey of examining the evidence, led him at one point to describe himself as the most reluctant convert uh, to the idea that a God exists, uh, and eventually to the conclusion that Jesus was and is who he said he was, God. Will you test the evidence? Once we've accepted that Jesus was making himself equal with God, we then need to ask a couple of further questions. Which God was Jesus making himself equal with? And in what sense is he equal with him? Which God was Jesus making himself equal with? Uh, Well, that would have been obvious to the people in Jerusalem, the people of the time who were there hearing these claims. Not so obvious to us, perhaps. But Jesus was making himself equal with the God of Israel, the God of the Jewish nation, the one God, the God who'd revealed himself throughout Scripture so far, throughout the Old Testament part of the Bible, throughout history, the God who'd made himself known. Jesus was not claiming to be another God or a competing God. He was making himself equal with the one God. So in what sense was Jesus God? In what sense was he claiming to be equal with the one God? As we've seen already in John's Gospel, in our series, Jesus is the unique, eternal Son of the Father. From the beginning, God has made himself known as Father, Son, and Spirit, eternally existing together. Three persons, one God. It's great that we've got Tim and his dad here this morning. Uh, perhaps you could both stand up a second, actually, if that's all right. Uh, you can work out which one's which. This is Tim and his dad, Pete. And uh, Tim's dad serves in the Royal Air Force. Thank you for protecting us and defending us. And Tim serves in the army. Well, I say he serves in the army. At the moment, I think he just makes sure the army are good at kayaking and caving and squash and whatever else. But one day, he's going to serve us uh, in the army and earn our taxes. Uh, but uh, thanks, you can sit down now. Um, Tim and his dad are quite a helpful example for us this morning, though, because they illustrate the saying, like father, like son. Like his father, Tim has entered a career of serving in the armed forces. Tim, the son, is doing what his father does. 
And this is relatively rare in our culture, though, isn't it? Uh, perhaps we could conduct a quick poll. Uh, maybe you could put your hand up uh, if, you, if you've entered the same career or plan to enter the same career as your parents uh, when you be- or plan to enter when you begin working. Could you put your hand up if you have entered the same career or plan to enter the same career? See, very few, like five hands, maybe six hands in total out of a couple of hundred people. Very few of us. It's rare in our culture. But in the first century Middle Eastern culture, it was most common for a son to take on the trade of his father. Most sons grew up being apprenticed by their fathers in their trade or profession. If your dad was a farmer, you became a farmer. If your dad was a carpenter, you became a carpenter. And he showed you everything. He taught you all that you knew so that you could become as skilled a craftsman as he Your father wanted you to be as honoured as he was, and so showed you everything, so that all might honour you as good a carpenter, as good a farmer, as good a soldier. And this is the idea behind what's going on in these verses. In his defence, Jesus said to them, verse 19, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Sorry, that's not verse 19. I misled you. That's verse 18. No, it is verse 19. Oh, wherever it is. It's verse 17. In his defense, verse 17, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work this very day, and I too am working. For this very reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. The religious leaders understood correctly what Jesus was claiming. Jesus was claiming to be exactly and wholly like God, like his Father, God. Jesus was claiming to be God the Son. And like his Father continuously works at all times of every day of the week, so Jesus continuously works like Father like son. The son does what he sees his father doing because, verse 19, whatever the father does, the son also does, like father, like son. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Jesus is exactly like his father. The father shows him, loves him, and shows him everything there is to being God. Jesus has been apprenticed, if you like, in being God, like father, like son. There's so much more we could say about who Jesus is, but we must move on. So for now, let's just see that Jesus is God the Son who reveals God the Father to us, like Father, like Son. But take a look again at verse 20. Yes, and he will show you even him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Before we think about the greater works than these, let's think about what these were. What is it that the son has been doing? Well, he's been healing people. That was the objection. That was the problem that was going on here. He'd healed this guy who'd been sick for 38 years on the wrong day of the week, so they thought. The son heals people because it's part of the family business. Like father, like son. It was impressive enough that Jesus had just healed this guy who'd been sick for 38 years. It was impressive enough that in the chapter before, Jesus healed someone who was close to death with just a word. He didn't even have to be present to spare someone from death. 
the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. Creating fine wine earlier in John's Gospel. Creating fine wine to enjoy with the celebration of marriage. That's just like God the Father. Showing love to an outcast woman and restoring her. That's just like God the Father. Saving someone from dying. That's just like God the Father. Restoring health to a sick body. That's just like God the Father. But let's move on and consider what Jesus offers. What is uh, this more amazing thing? Uh, Reading again from verse 20. The Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he'll show him greater works than these, even greater works than these, so that you'll be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. In the next chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus again shows himself to be the Son of God as he demonstrates his creative power and compassion for hungry people. And through that, teaches about how he came to give life to the world. But it's in chapter 11 that we really begin to see hints of what Jesus is talking about here. When he says, yes, he'll show him even greater works than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. In chapter 11, we read how Jesus, the Son from the Father, who raises the dead and gives them life, we read how Jesus raises a dead man to life. A man who'd been dead and buried in a tomb four days. A man whose body had began to decompose. Jesus, the Son, who is exactly like God the Father. Jesus calls out in a loud voice to the man, Lazarus, come out! And a dead man comes out of his tomb. You can read that story in chapter 11 if you want later on uh, of John's gospel. That was amazing, all right. Whatever you think about who Jesus is, wouldn't you be astonished if you witnessed that happen? Whatever you think about Jesus, if you saw him say, Lazarus, come out, and a guy who'd been dead four days in his tomb got up and came out, wouldn't you be astonished? That was an amazing display of the son's capacity to give life. And therefore, an amazing display of the Son's likeness to the Father. But Jesus spoke of a time when he would do something even greater than this. When Jesus gave life to Lazarus, it was just to one guy. And it was just his old life that he came back to. I still think that's amazing. And saying it's just his old life, he only raised the guy back to his old life. But it was just his old life, his old body. His same old limitations and the same mortality. Lazarus would have to face death again. But the life which Jesus offers us, what he offers us here this morning, is a different order of life altogether. Please look very carefully at verses 24 to 29 of John chapter 5. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word... And believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And as he has given authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. 
Those who've done what is good will rise to live. And those who've done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Because I'm so cool, uh, last week I was talking with someone about National Trust membership. And uh, yeah, you thought I was cool, didn't you? There you go. And uh, someone said that they had double life membership. And someone else in the room, hearing this double life membership of the National Trust, thought, what is that? Is that like a, if you die uh, and then you're reincarnated as something else, you can have a kind of second life membership afterwards? And that's what, where the idea went. Um, but Jesus isn't talking about reincarnation, coming back as something else, as a donkey or whatever. Uh, nor he's talking about resuscitation, coming back as what we were. Jesus is talking about resurrection, being raised from the dead to new life, a new order of life, eternal life, life of the age to come. Depending on your background, you might not have any concept of an afterlife. You might even dismiss the idea as pie in the sky when you die. But it's something which Jesus spoke much about and something which runs throughout the Bible. And the raising of Lazarus in chapter 11 is only a picture which anticipates the raising of life to the life of the age to come. This is what Jesus offers. Look again in verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. Verse 24. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. It's crossed over from death to life. And again, uh, we read earlier, a time is coming, has now come, when the dead will hear the, son, the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. Jesus, the Son from the Father, gives eternal life. This life is life of the age to come. It's only found in him. And Esther and Tim know this hope. In fact, the hope of this life of the age to come is a great comfort to Esther in particular, as well as to others of us who've known the pain of losing those who we love. In the final book of the Bible, Revelation The same John who wrote this gospel is shown a vision of this future life. And in part of that vision, he records, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. It's the life of the age to come. It's a beautiful life. It's the life that all who believe in him will be raised up to at the end of this age. And yet at the same time, this life that Jesus offers us is to be experienced now. Yes, it's the life of the age to come. But all those who hear and believe in him, begin to experience this life now. As we read in verse 24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. And in verse 25, Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come. Esther and Tim have begun to enjoy this gift of eternal life now. They're spiritually alive to God now. Uh, now, uh, imagine God is over here on this, on this platform, say. 
And uh, imagine this small pool of water was actually a gigantic chasm stretching further than any of us can see. Uh, You can use your imagination here. And uh, actually, this reminds me of um, a little joke. You want to know the joke, why did Adele cross the road? So she could say hello from the other side. Um, Sorry if you don't understand that, never mind, ignore it, move on. Um, So so God's over there. Um, Here's this great chasm in the middle, okay? And we're all over here. Here's humanity standing over here. And this chasm is representing the problem of our rejection of God in our hearts. Well, the Bible talks about as sin, that we've, we've not loved God more than anything else. We've not desired him more than anything else. There's other things we've gone after, mostly based around ourselves. This is the problem of our hearts. And this chasm represents this separation. We cannot know God over there. We cannot be with him. We cannot enjoy the life that he offers. I was going to uh, attempt to uh, kind of do a tightrope or some kind of plank or float across on a boat, but I figured it probably could go horribly wrong and might be a bit of a distraction if I fell in the pool. So um, you just have to imagine this. Um, Jesus, uh, God sends his son to deal with this problem. The father sends the son to bridge this chasm, if you like, so that through Jesus' death, And his resurrection, through his death in our place that, as Tim said, carries the weight of our guilt and our shame, through Jesus doing that for us, we can cross over to this relationship with God. We can cross over to enjoy the life with God that he offers to us. That's the message of the Bible, that God sends his son to bridge this gap, to bring us to God. As Jesus said in verse 24, very truly I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. But more important than the crossing is what we cross over to. The reason we're saved is to enjoy a relationship with God the Father as our Father and with Jesus as our brother. As Tim spoke about knowing God on a personal level, or as Jesus puts it later in John's Gospel, This is eternal life, that they know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Esther has crossed over from death to life. She's began to enjoy a personal relationship with God as her father. And she knows Jesus as her brother. And she has the hope of eternal life, the full enjoyment of the life of the age to come. Tim has crossed over from death to life. He's began to enjoy a personal relationship with God as his father. He knows Jesus as his brother. And he has the hope of the life, of eternal life, the full enjoyment of the life of the age to come. What about you? Can you put your name in that sentence? The baptism we're about to do is actually a picture of this reality. Uh, the water in this pool is ordinary water, nothing special about it, doesn't have any magical powers. Uh, and in a moment, Tim and Esther will go down into this pool of water uh, and we'll immerse them under the water and then bring them back up again. And as Esther and Tim go down into the water, it symbolizes a dying to themselves, to their old life without God. And as they come back out of the water, it symbolizes their rising to this new life lived with God the life of the age to come, which they've begun already. The baptism is a picture of the inner reality that Tim and Esther have crossed over from death to life. 
Baptism also pictures washing, cleansing. Uh, Most of us will be familiar with the concept of a bath. Hopefully you are. Uh, And as Esther and Tim are baptized, it symbolizes this inner reality of a cleansing, uh, that Jesus has washed them clean. The Bible explains we need to be clean not just on the outside, but on the inside too. We need our hearts cleansed, our consciences cleansed, so that we can enjoy this personal relationship with God that he desires to have with us. That is why Jesus died on the cross, so that we could be forgiven, made clean before him. God has made Tim and Esther clean. The baptism is a picture of that cleansing work of God. Being baptized doesn't make Tim and Esther clean. Sorry, it doesn't make them Christians. And they've already turned from their old self and put their trust in Jesus. They've already crossed over from death to life. They've already been washed clean on the inside. And it's because this has happened they want to be baptized today. Not that they've got it all sorted yet. We're all work in progress. But we take the, next, we take the step of baptism in obedience to Jesus when we begin our journey of trusting him and following him. Almost certain that there'll be uh, people here this morning who perhaps it's right for you to take that step as well. Maybe you need to think about taking that step. Come and speak to us if God puts that back on your hearts. But very quickly as we finish, uh, so we've seen, uh, we've seen what, Jesus, um, what Jesus offers. Let's just finish by thinking about how we receive it very quickly. How do we get this gift of life? Do you want this life? Jesus says in verse 24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. To hear Jesus' word is to hear the word of the Father because Jesus the Son speaks only what the Father gives him to say. We hear his word, we believe, we put our trust in it. Not the kind of faith that that says, I'm going to believe something that I know to be false, but the kind of faith that says, I'm going to believe based on the evidence I'm presented with that he is who he said he is and has that power to save me and give me life. Some of you, like me, come from backgrounds where you know very little about Jesus. You perhaps weren't even aware of his claims to be God. Maybe you've never opened a copy of the Bible before. But some of you are growing up in similar situations to Esther and Tim. Perhaps you feel like Tim felt, I know the answers. But I'm not talking about the answers now. Forget the answers for a minute. Do you know Jesus Do you know him on a personal level? How would you describe your relationship with him? For some of you here this morning, that relationship has not begun yet. Maybe you'll begin it today. Some of you might say that relationship has begun, but you're yet to learn that dependence on God that Tim had to learn through college or that Esther has learned the hard way through losing her friend and her mum. There's nothing like tough experiences to teach us how to really rely on God, really know him and depend on him. How real is your relationship? We need to know Jesus and trust in him. Uh, I'm going to stop there. If you want to find out more, uh, then do ask Tim or Esther. They'd love to speak to you. They'd be really happy to try and answer your questions. They won't think your questions are stupid unless you're trying to be stupid. But they won't kind of laugh at you for your questions. If it's a genuine question, ask them. They'd love to talk to you about it. Or you could speak to me or John, uh, who's been leading, or Lou, who'll be in the water, or any of the guys you've seen uh, on, in the band. Uh, come and talk to us afterwards. Uh, for now, we're going to sing a song which Tim has chosen. Uh, and this song connects very closely with what we've been thinking about in this passage. It's a song which affirms what we believe. Uh, and, uh, and lots of the lines are literally saying, I believe this, I believe that. If you don't yet believe these things, uh, then please don't feel like you have to sing along. Uh, Feel free just to listen and reflect on the words. No one will judge you for that. 
In fact, we'd respect you if you can't sing them and mean them. But do reflect on the words as we sing. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. Let's stand and sing together.